When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the TLP Podcast. I'm one of your hosts today, Justin Short, along with my good buddy, Steve, the Iron Man Vandegraaff. Steve, on the last podcast, you were going to the island owned by another good buddy of mine, St. Simon. Was it everything you'd hoped it for would be and uh, more? Oh, oh, it was. Your buddy, Simon, definitely delivered. St. Simon, you son of a gun. He didn't go through <laughs> eight years of saint school to be called Simon. St. Simon Barjona. No, it was great. It was great. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever been to the coastal islands of Georgia, South Carolina? No, we've been to the Outer Banks, but that's North Carolina, right? Yeah, well, I'm sure it's similar, but they're just beautiful. If anyone wants to visit them, if you want to see white coasts, or if you've seen the live oak trees with Spanish moss, that's kind of the icon of the South. It's all over down there, and just it's beautiful. So I highly recommend it. On another note, my son got stung pretty good by um, some type of jellyfish, so my kids all freaked out and got shy about the water. So we're going to be working on that for a while. Did you pee on them? Is that what you're supposed to do? You get stung by jellyfish? Oh, no. I just do it in the water, and it like disperses them and like creates a little shield around uh, around the perimeter. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. What about you? Uh, have you been uh, planting some seed or some crops or seed crops? I don't even know what you call them. Not since we talked last week. I think we've been getting a lot of rain. It's kind of stalled my farming operation, which is, it makes it sound like it's more than it is when you call it a farming operation. Like, I have a farmer, and they actually do the farming. I just make my little little spots for deer, the deer food. So, But no, I haven't done much planning since we talked last. So I'm actually at home today. I think I'm going to head to the farm, though. Do you use uh, GMO seeds? Yeah, I, I think we do. The beans I planted for, and people are like, seriously, you guys are talking about this? The beans I planted for uh, <laughs> food plots for deer were the Roundup ready, meaning like I can spray Roundup on them to get rid of weeds but doesn't kill the beans. So I would assume that's not a natural selection kind of a trait. So, yeah, we totally genetically modify my deer plots. That's awesome. I think your farming is really interesting, just so you're aware. Thank you. Yeah. I think we need to have like uh, like a meeting of the minds and get like 10 listeners or clients and you, me, and Derek, and go spend the weekend there. Get you guys out in the woods, but also mastermind and uh, do something else. So That would be really fun. Yeah. Could try that out. Anyway, Steve, are you ready to dive back in the topic? We started last week on training your team. Let's hit it. Let's do it. I'm ready to. So last week we discussed your leadership, where it all begins when it comes to training your team or leading your team. And we're just going to keep going and hammer through the actual, some more nuts and bolts of actually leading a team training. This is going to be part two of a three-part series on training your team. So next week we'll officially hammer it home. And I'm sure for some of you, it sounds simple. Train your team like, oh, bro, what can you tell me? I get it. In a lot of ways, it is. But I know at least for me, especially when I was a newer, younger doc, and I had never been taught 
how to conduct a meeting that actually makes a difference in my practice. And let's be real. Not all meetings are created equal. There's a meeting where it's technically a meeting, but nothing of value really happens or nothing that changes your practice really happens. And there are meetings that are just B sessions where teams are just complaining and the doc is trying to field all the complaints and make everyone happy. And then there are meetings led by a leader where the needle in your practice actually gets moved. And that's what we're focusing on. That's what we want to happen. We're not into wasting time. Time is our most precious commodity. So if you're not moving in the right direction, don't even waste your time. Don't even have the meeting. So how do you run an effective meeting? A to C right here. Let's just go through some of the important aspects. Number one, put a date on the calendar. Set aside two to four hours of uninterrupted time. Set your voicemail for patients saying, hey, we're doing a team training today to better help serve our patients, and we'll call you back today as soon as we're done. So when do you do this? When do you have a meeting? Good question. Glad you guys asked. I don't like it at the beginning of the day. No one likes to sit through a meeting knowing, oh, great, when this is all over, I got to go see patients the rest of the day. At least I didn't. I think a lot of people feel the same way. So I like to do it at either the second half of the day. You know, so let's work to lunch. I'll order in lunch. We'll have a meeting the rest of the day. If you work three days a week or four days a week, you could do it on one of the days you're not seeing patients. So if you're working Monday through Wednesday, you could do it Thursday. If you're working Monday through Thursday, you could do half a day on Friday. But you know, I would suggest having some lunch ordered in, bringing, if you're doing it earlier in the day on one of the days you're off, bring in some coffee and some bagels, pay your team for the time, set it up, make it comfortable for everyone. And this is a big important thing I believe in. If you need to, it's okay to cancel some production to get your training in. When I took over my second practice, they were working four days a week and the practice was still in the upper. The first thing I did was cancel all patients on Thursdays and use that day as our training day for the foreseeable future. And it's, I get that it seems counterintuitive to cancel a day of production when the practice, like I said, is already in the upper, but I knew it wasn't a lack of treatment time that was sinking that practice, and it rarely is. It was an overall performing at a low level that was killing it. And that's what I had to improve. And here's a story to illustrate the point. Two lumberjacks. Stick with me here. Stick with me. I say two lumberjacks. I'm sure Steve's ears perked up. I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm zoning it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Two lumberjacks head out in the woods, each with their own axe. And their job for that day was to get one of these really big trees chopped down by the end of the day. And these were big trees, Steve. So they set out into the woods. They set up about 50 yards apart and got to work chopping on their respective trees. One of the lumberjacks was just going in town the entire day, just sweating, panning, having to skip lunch because he was afraid he wasn't going to get his tree down by the end of the day. And if that happened, he'd get fired. So 
he's going at it, and every once in a while he'd look over and he could barely see the the other guy, but he'd hear him chopping, and every once in a while the chopping would stop, and he'd look over and he'd see the other guy sitting down, messing around. At one point, he saw the other guy eating lunch, and he thought to himself, that guy's going to get fired. There ain't no way he's going to get his tree down by the end of the day at the pace he's going. I'm not stopping for any breaks. I'm barely going to make it. So about an hour before the end of the day was over, he hears the other guy yell, timber, and he sees the other guy's tree fall down, and the guy's packing up his stuff, and Walking by the guy who's still furiously chopping away and, you know, gives him a wave, says, hey, I'll meet you back in the truck. So the other guy, still, he gets his, about an hour, hour and a half later, he had to work a little late. He got his tree down, packs up, meets the other guy at the truck. And once they meet back at the truck, the one lumberjack who worked hard all day asked the other, how in the world did you get that tree down and get it down an hour early? I saw you sitting around over there. I saw you eating lunch. What the heck's going on? What gives? And the other lumberjack looks at him and says, I wasn't sitting around. I was sharpening my axe. See, training, legit training for your team is how you sharpen your axe. And if done correctly, you'll come on ahead more than the office who thinks they can't afford to set aside time to train. So, number one is set a time in stone on your calendar and let your team know you expect everyone to be there for your training. Awesome. I really appreciate the lumberjack analogy there. And to be honest, I really do enjoy chopping wood. But I'm sure you probably do it with you know every morning with just your overalls on, Justin. Ha <laughs> real funny, Steve. I wear, I wear boots. Oh, sorry. Yeah. But I know those are great points. I agree. With everything, I think the training is best had after patients, not before. So don't try to, you know, train from 8 to 10 and then have patients coming in the door at 9.45. Do it after. And I agree the phone needs to be handled either by voicemail or needs to be answered by some non-team member. That they can just handle it for those hours or for the day because you'll be interrupted continuously. As for blocking off the schedule for training at the potential expense of those couple hours of production, I think it's important to look at the ROI of those hours and it far exceeds that those couple hours of dentistry if you're making this training effective. If this is hard for you to do or you're nervous about it, just consider if you use the training to, for example, really lock down case presentation and treatment financing. From that day forward, each one of your new patient's exams will potentially be a lot more valuable. Let's say you had a meeting and you shored up your recall system and your hygiene scheduling, and it took you know a couple hours of meetings to do that. That's uh, you know a couple hours of lost dentistry, but that's potentially bringing in a full book of hygiene, so an extra few hygiene visits every day going forward. If you have a meeting and your hygienist learns to talk better about SRP or co-diagnosing crowns, yes, you're going to lose a couple hours of her doing some profies, but that new skill set will return to you much more than those couple hours of profies if suddenly you're able to get a couple more patients to say yes each day to bigger treatment. So it may take a little bravery, but I think your example was 
great. I mean, you took off an entire day. So, I mean, you, Justin, had, you basically said, we're going to do immediately cut it back to 75% of what it was originally doing. And you're going to use 25% of the time to train. And I mean, I know the end story, but for listeners that don't, you, this practice you built, basically it just kind of shot through the roof, right? Yeah. That taking that day off to train and essentially allowed me to never have to work that day again when it came down to it. So I think your examples, you know, really putting it down to brass tacks were really good. We're playing the long game here, folks. We're not, we're not looking just to bump production for one month or one week. We want to set ourselves up so we can more efficiently build this practice every week, every day, every month going forward. So that's our goal. We're not just looking to get ahead here for a week. We're looking to build practices that continue to grow week after week, month after month, year after year, until we decide to ride off into the sunset. Number two. Number one, we'll set your time. Number two, pick your topic. How do you pick a topic? As you're going through your day, this is how I did it. As you're going through your daily routine, I'm sure there are areas that you see that can improve in your office. Maybe it's how phones are being answered. You know, does the person answering the phone get the patient's name, tell them they called the right office, and say something to build whoever the patient will be seeing up? For example, you're going to, thanks for calling, Justin. You're going to love St. Simon Dentistry. Dr. Van de Graaff takes such good care of our patients. You're going to love them. Can't wait for you to meet them. Like, as a patient, I'm like, heck yeah, I can't wait to meet this dude. If they're seeing a hygienist for cleaning, maybe it's, Justin, you called the right office. You're going to love Amanda. She gives the best cleanings. I can't wait for you to meet her. Something to that effect. That's, you know, one of the ways I think we've discussed before in the podcast of warming those patients up. We want to get that patient hot as we can by the time they get in there. Maybe it's co-diagnosis. Maybe it's our recall percentage needs to increase. Maybe we need to get better at asking for reviews and referrals. Maybe it's cross-training. On and on the list could go. So step number two is pick your topics or topics you want to discuss and train on that day. And I found them just by having my head on a swivel in my business, constantly listening, what's so-and-so saying here? What's so-and-so saying there? How is this interaction happening? Where can we improve? And then I would keep a list to myself in my office of things I knew I wanted to improve and train on. When training day came, I'd look at my list, decide which is most important, which is the most pressing, and I'd pick that and we do an in-depth training on it. And I think it's important, like you mentioned, to just choose a topic or two and delve into them and resist the urge to, after you create that list that you talked about, don't go into a meeting with this big laundry list of things that need changing and just rattle through them all at once. Staff, they're not going to ingest that all. Or if they do, they're going to have a very hard time applying anything for any substantial amount of time. So um, it's easier to say, last week in our meeting, we worked on this one thing. Today, we are going to work on this. And you're giving it to them in uh, concise, focused subjects that you can kind of delve deep into, and it'll make it more effective. 
Yeah, 100%. With these trainings, we're going deep. We're not going wide. We're not going into this meeting saying, I got to get through this whole list of things I saw over the past two weeks or the past month or the past week and make sure I, I touch on each of them. No, that does nothing. What we're looking here is to take one or two topics and really train, really dive deep on them. So that's a great point. Thanks for sharing. So number one, pick your time. Number two, pick your topic. Number three, now we're going to actually plan your training. And this is where it takes work on your part. I didn't like it, but it pays off. I always did, and I think it's good to prepare handouts for your team, bring those along, and then they can make notes. They have no excuses post-meeting of, well, I don't remember that, or, oh, hey, we didn't discuss that. Well, yes, we did. It's right here in your notes that I handed out to you the day of the meeting that I stayed up late preparing. Stupid. (laughs) Just kidding. They have something they can refer back to and hopefully study more on their own outside the office. And you've got to encourage them to do that. Give them a reason. Hey, next week we're going to follow up. We're going to ask you questions about the training. I don't know if I'd recommend doing this, but when I did this eight, 10 years ago, I actually gave my team a quiz based off the things we trained on the week before. I don't want to waste my time. You know, I got better things to do on on that Thursday I had off. I got better things to do till midnight, one, two o'clock the night before preparing that training. So I want to make sure you're paying attention. So looking back, I don't know if a quiz was a good idea, but you know, proof is in the button. It worked out. I think it worked. Do you text them each night and make sure they're studying for the quiz too? Yeah. I just call them random like, what are you doing? Uh, you're not studying. <laughs> I'm having dinner, sir. The hell you are. You get your studying done. <laughs> no, that's actually funny because I, I do quizzes too, especially for, um, you know, this may be a little different, but for like OSHA infection control stuff, I always do quizzes and I have them turn it in and then it's documentation for, you know, if there's ever some audit or anything, you have a nice journal full of these quizzes to demonstrate that you're doing this stuff. But yeah, I think um, going ahead and like writing it out, giving them a, a sheet of notes, it helps them remember it and it demonstrates you're serious about this. Justin, before you explain how this looks, I think it's important to stress that you really plan this training. Too often in these meetings, the doc is coming in without a solid plan where they're directing the communication. And instead, this meeting falls into a kind of a whining session where employees are griping and complaining about this or that or each other. And the doc is suddenly trying to, you know, field each complaint and, and trying to smooth things over and appease the group. Obviously, you want to listen to feedback and you want to hear what their problems are and experiencing you want to go into these meetings having listened to these issues beforehand. You've prepared some solutions and a specific training to implement it so that it's polished and prepared and you're not kind of shooting by the hip and, and having this kind of complaining session that can sometimes unfortunately happen. Yep. You want to over-prepare for this training. Don't just say, okay, oh, thank God I got my notes done. Let's go and read them tomorrow. I'm like, no. The more intentional you are, the more it will pay off. The hardest part for me was taking the time to actually do it. So if I'm going to take the time to actually do it, I want to get the most bang for my buck, and that comes with intentionality. Let's look a little bit more of how we train. Let's say we're going to train on co-diagnosis. You don't go into your meetings and say, hey, guys, one of the things we need to improve on is co-diagnosing. Next, let's talk about recalls. No. 
that doesn't do anything for you. You have to understand, often our teams aren't lazy. They aren't being insubordinate. They just don't know what you want them to do and how you want them to do it. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes they are being lazy and insubordinate. But right now, we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. So for co-diagnosing, for example, I would quickly start off my meeting, you know, assuming that this isn't like the very first meeting. We're going to kind of get into that, you know, a few of the things that I think it's good to address on the very first meetings you have. But let's just say this is a normal training. You know, I would quickly start off with, why is this important? Why are we even studying it? Well, glad you asked, team members. We know that the best case acceptance numbers are achieved when we have a well-trained hygienist that has pointed out the issues that they're seeing, pointed out what they expect the doctor to treatment plan, and then the doctor comes in, builds a rapport, and reinforces what the hygienist has already pointed out. That's how we get our best case acceptance. And we also know that if we're only treatment planning things the patients really need or can benefit from, which is all we do here at XYZ Dental, the more our patients accept our suggestions and our treatment plans, the more our patients are getting healthier. So that is why this topic is worth training on. Next, I'd let them know exactly what I expected from this training and subsequent trainings on this topic. My goal is after our trainings on co-diagnosing that our entire team here is, but especially the hygienist, will feel more comfortable in recognizing and discussing areas in the mouth that need treatment and are able to have these conversations with patients and feel more comfortable and confident about having them. So again, I'm kind of shooting from the hip, but for co-diagnosis, this is what I did to train my team. So I would come armed with 10 pictures, intraoral pictures, usually taken from our own patients, on common things we saw patients present in our practice. You know, it's dentistry. We often see the same tooth 30 times a week. So I would pick one of those as a good example of this, and I'd put it in one of my 10 slides. Could be caries, could be a missing tooth, could be a broken tooth, an old large amalgam with some cracking, could be incised aware and exposed dentin, could be class 5 lesions. As we looked at each of those pictures, we discuss what do we say to this patient? When this patient's sitting in our chair tomorrow morning, what do we say to them? And often in the first meeting, I'm doing most of the talking. I'm doing the teaching. It doesn't have to be this way. That's just how it went most of the time. But I'd let the team know we're going to be discussing this again. Repetition is the key to training. Write that down, people. Repetition is the key to training. So next week or next month, whatever, we're going to be looking at other pictures. And in the next meeting, I want to be able to call on any one of you here and say, hey, Mary, this patient on the screen here is sitting in your chair and you have this picture up on the screen. What are you saying to them? So during our two to four hour meeting, we're going to go through each of these pictures. So the team feels comfortable recognizing pathology and discussing it with patients. And they will also have a better idea, if they don't already, of what I'm going to suggest. That's what I want them to know. I want them to get in my head and know what Dr. Short's going to suggest when he comes in this room and he sees this tooth or this situation. So the person shows up with 
missing tooth number 30. What are you saying to them, Mary? This person has no enamel on the edges of 6 to 11. What do you say to them, Oprah? If they don't know, and this is getting a little bit more into the minutia, if they don't know, if I'm going to suggest a crown or a filling, I always told them to err towards the bigger. Because then, if I come in and suggest a crown, then they were already expecting it. If I say a filling, then I look like a hero, which is great because we're all working together and we, we want other people on our team to look good. But if the hygienist says filling and I come in and say crown, then the patient could think the hygienist who I'm practically best friends with because she's been cleaning my teeth for 20 years said a filling. And now this Yahoo is saying a crown. I don't know what to think. So it's not the end of the world, but everything counts in your office. And we want to make it easy for patients to say yes. Great examples. And if you don't know, you know, the next thing you could train your team on, I think these are great, great subjects in your example. So Justin, if I could interrupt you, so listeners kind of see how this meeting looks. When you're talking, for example, about, in your example, co-diagnosis, or something else that just kind of your clinical team, the back office staff is focusing on, will you meet with just your hygienist and assistants, or will you have your front desk there too, or do you hold separate front desk meetings with your front desk staff and not bring your clinical team? Do you kind of split it up that way? And then where are you having these for example, photo demonstrations. Is this in your office? Is, are you doing this in operatory and kind of role-playing it? What does it look like? Good questions. So I always preferred, I want everybody there. Obviously, it's most apropos for the hygienist, but I also want my front desk to improve at talking to patients. I want my assistant to be really good at talking to patients because the better they're talking to patients, the better they have knowledge on a patient's came up for a crown and they have a question. Well, maybe now I can feel it. Maybe I can let them know why Dr. Short suggested this crown, or maybe I can let them know why he suggested this implant because now I have a broader base of knowledge and I've also practiced on how to talk to patients about it. So where you might be getting 95% of cross-correlation with the hygienist job, and you may only be getting 30 to 50% cross-correlation with the other two jobs, I'll still take it. I still want them to be better at talking to patients than the 10 offices within two square miles of my practice, because we're not here just to compete and get by with those other offices around me, my other dental buddies around me. I want to freaking crush them. I want to freaking dominate their face off So they all go out of business, and I'm like freaking Scrooge McDuck over here swimming in my gold piles in my break room, not because I just want all that that money, because what that money represents, and that money represents options in my life, freedom in my life, living my life on my own terms. So hashtag sorry, not sorry. (laughs) That's funny. No, I agree. I think... Um, if you just like listen to some of the phone calls your front desk is having, they actually field a lot more clinical type questions than you would actually think. And so I think this is a really important base for them to have. And also, I think it's really important for assistants to learn how you train your front desk to answer the phone because they're going to be doing it. And the more they understand about one another's tasks, they have the crossover ability 
But I think that there's also a little bit more kind of understanding with uh, one another's jobs. They're able to kind of help a little better. And there's less likely to be some of this friction where sometimes they don't aren't respecting totally everything that the other one has to do. So I think it's great to have your whole team in for these discussions, whether it's clinical or front desk, it's kind of, it's going to help your whole team. Yeah. And to answer your second question, usually, you know, wherever we were having our meeting, so it might be in our, like a break room, it could be out in the waiting room, wherever we were sitting that day, I, I tried to have them pulled up on a computer and let's flip through them and I'll look at them. But to me, it doesn't matter where it's just whatever's most conducive for you. And going back to the other question, not that there weren't exceptions to the rules sometimes, but generally most all my trainings, I wanted everybody to hear, just like you said, because you never know when front desk is going to be sick and hygienist is going to have to be up there checking someone out or assistant's going to have to be answering the phone. The only times generally where I would talk alone is when I was correcting or having to reprimand or, hey, you didn't do this good. This is how I think we could do better. Don't do it again, stupid. Just kidding. Never called them stupid. So I didn't want to ever allow someone to lose face. So that's the situations in which I would talk to them one-on-one. Let's look at another topic real quick. You know, let's say it's recall percentage. Why is it important? Our goal, hey team, our goal is to make sure every patient in our office has another appointment scheduled before walking out the door. This helps to keep patients on track and help keep them healthy and makes us have to use less manpower to try to track them down via phone calls, texts, postcards, skip tracing, showing up at their house whenever they're due. So right now, our recall percentage of patients who make their next cleaning appointment in hygiene is about 70%. That's not good enough. That means three out of every 10 patients are leaving without an appointment. So Let's discuss it. How are we asking for that appointment? When are you asking for that appointment? Let's start off in the very beginning. The first thing is, are we asking every patient to schedule for their next appointment? Yes? Good. Let's go through how we ask the patients to schedule. How I would like you to ask is some form of this. Mrs. Jones, today your appointment was at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Are those times usually good for you? Great. Let's go ahead and get your next cleaning set up while we wait for Dr. Short to come in. So, again, these are just examples. I'm not saying, you know, follow my training verbatim, but I'm kind of just letting you know how it would generally work in my office. So, the point is here, we're not just saying, hey, do you want to set up for your next recall appointment six months from now that you don't know your schedule yet? It's that we're showing our team exactly how we would like it done and when what point of the appointment do we do that because everything counts so then i would move on okay does everyone understand does anyone have any questions no we got it great let's practice i'm a patient that you just finished cleaning with take it away mary what do you say get me to schedule for my next appointment uh well uh well let's go back and (laughs) review what did we just cover So, and I get it, you know, I've been in Mary's shoes. So the point is we're just showing our team exactly how we would like things done to get the best results. We're showing them exactly what we want. And then we're role-playing and practicing with them until 
they feel comfortable with it. I want to be able to call Mary in the middle of the night, say, Mary, wake up. I'm a patient sitting in your chair. I have no dentin on the incisal of the ledges of 6 through 11. What do you say to me? Well, Dr. Shorts, this is what I would say. Or, Mary, you just finished cleaning my teeth, Mary. How do you get me to schedule for my next appointment, Mary? Well, Dr. Short, I'm glad you called me in the middle of the night to ask. This is what I would say. Dr. Short, your appointment's at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday night. Are those times usually good for you? Great. So that's what I'm going for. I'm going to train and beat it in their heads so that it's second nature. And I'm going to train on it till they got it down, and then I'm going to move on to my next topic. And as I do that, my practice grows, and their bonuses start to kick butt, and it pays off for them and changes their life as well. Mic drop peace. Talk to you next week. So. <laughs> no, those are great examples. I think what you just kind of described is something that I remember learning about in like an organizational behavior or business class or something. Basically, it's how to teach people new stuff. It's called the edict. So explain. What'd you call me? Demonstrate. <laughs> uh, you heard it. I said it. <laughs> you explain, demonstrate, imitate, and then critique. So you introduce it just like you said, just in the beginning, explain why it's important, what it will do for the patients and the office, and then you demonstrate it to the group yourself. So you say how you want the treatment presented, you give an example of how you want the phone answered or an appointment set. And I think this, is, this point is crucial. You can't just say that you want something done. People don't really grasp it, but they will if they see it. They need to watch you or someone else do it. And then that allows them to imitate. So after you do it, they try to imitate it and match what you do. It's probably going to be awkward. They're going to um and bumble through it. But it's important that they try to imitate it. Um, and then after that, you critique their attempt and then give them some correction. This was good, but the way you said that, uh, we need to leave those words out or emphasize this. For example, two or three weeks ago, I was talking about finances. I, I'm trying to get better case acceptance in my office. So I tell my assistant outside the operatory before I go in, I want you to watch me and listen exactly how I present this treatment plan paper and go over the finances so you can do it the exact way next time. So I have her come in. She's standing right by me, and I sit down by the patient, and I go through my more or less speech or pitch that I have polished over time and have tried to kind of hone in on, on the best practices. Then the next patient in the next hour, she's going to come in and I'm going to watch her do it. I'm going to be behind the patient chair or acting like I'm putting notes in the computer, but I'm really just listening to her. And then as soon as that appointment's over, I'm giving her immediate feedback. It was really good how you said this, but make sure you don't say this because of this. So anyways, that's a great teaching model that you kind of exemplified for us, Justin. So explain, demonstrate it, let them imitate, and then critique them. Yep. If you don't demonstrate, have them imitate and give feedback, they're not likely going to change much. But if you do do these things, the change will stick. They'll feel empowered. They'll see results. And you'll get those things that you were just talking about. Yep. The more you practice and let them imitate, the more their confidence is coming out. Confidence leads to competence, and competence increases confidence. So that's what we're trying to do. Ooh, that's good. Yep. How you like that, Steve? Nah, sounds like something Dave Ramsey would say. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> There's lots of those little, if you live like no one else, you'll live like no one else. You know, those type of little <laughs> phrases. 
A bird in the hands better than two in the bush. What? What, Dave? So, yeah, I think that was great. Let me ask you a question, Steve. When you're going through this, when you're doing your edict stuff with your patients, as opposed to going to Great Wolf Lodge with your family this weekend or being out on St. Simon's Island with your six children, is that what you'd rather be doing right at that time? Would you consider that fun? Oh, well, no. I think you know the answer to your question, but no, it's not. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to steal your thunder, but it's basically um, you're putting in your investment right now and it's going to compound. If you pay it in early, you're going to get dividends later on. Right. And it doesn't need to be huge. You know, you're not like taking months and weeks to do this. Like you can have a couple good solid training meetings and cover a good majority of kind of the highest, most important points that you want to get in, in as far as case acceptance or, or patient interaction. So it's worth it. It'll right. allow you to go to Great Wolf Lodge in the future or have a farm or whatever you want to do. Right. Exactly. And that's my point is that it's not fun for you no more than it was fun for me. I didn't get up and like, yes, I'm going to go do some edict training with my team on my day off about how to answer phones. No, no, I wasn't like that at all. But that doing those things, which most people won't, now allows me to pretty much do what I want any damn day of my life. But there's a lot of days when my colleagues, you know, say, hey, why are you wasting your time training your team? Let's go golf. Let's go fishing. Let's do anything else besides going to train our teams. That sounds horrible. You're stupid. I'll meet you at the bar. No, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm freaking putting in the work now and working like no one else so I can live like no one else the rest of my life. And that's why I did it. Not because I enjoyed it. Not because you enjoy it, Steve. Hard work pays off, period. So thanks for sharing the edict. I mean, it makes sense that there's actually a official training method or word that sums up my ramblings better than I do. So <laughs> let's quickly recap for today. Number one, training is important. It's an investment. It's an investment in your future. It's an investment in your family. It's an investment in your legacy. It's a pain in the butt at the time. No one likes to do it. But it's what sets you apart. It's sharpening your axe so that you can get in the woods, cut down your tree, and get the heck out of the woods and go do what you want. Starts with setting your time on the schedule. Mark it down. When are you going to do it? Lock it in to keep yourself accountable. Next, pick your topic chosen by observing weak spots in the office. Where can you get better? Make a list to yourself. I always kept a running list in my office where no one else saw it of things that jumped out. So-and-so dismisses a patient like this. So-and-so sounded stupid how they answered the phone. Whatever it was, some things are big, some things are little. I'd keep a list. And then plan. Be intentional. The more intentional you are, the less you have to repeatedly train and train and train on something for years. Technically, it should be two or three hard trainings with a review session down the road a bit, and you should be done. Check it off your list. Good. We're all good on this topic. Let's move on to another topic. But be intentional with what you're covering and how you're going to cover it. Next week, we're going to conclude with a bunch of odds and ends of the minutiae during the the trainings that we didn't get into yet. 
on how to talk to your team, what to do when you have pushback from your team, what to do when you have devil's advocates. Well, I could say this to the patient, but what if they report me to OSHA for not blah, blah, blah. We're going to talk about how to throat punch that person in your meeting, not leaving things open-ended. So that would be great. More in depth of how you do what you do. Questions or concerns, email us, Justin, Steve, Derek at the Lifestyle Practice. Again, we would appreciate your reviews, believe it or not. One thing with our, not patting ourselves on the back, but I'm kind of patting on ourselves on the back. Like our content that we put out, like right now, like we spend time coming up with that content. That's coming from inside of our heads. We don't have a podcast and nothing wrong with it where we just pick another guest that you've heard 15 other times on every other podcast and have them on and ask them the same 20 questions. We could do that. Guaranteed, make it easier and be a lot less prep time. But that's been done. Justin, yeah, you're the guest on all the other podcasts, so you don't even need to do that. You are the guy. Right. So I know how boring that is, Steve, <laughs> to listen kidding. to. So, you know, we put a lot of time. Not patting ourselves on our back. We don't have to. We want to do it. But we would appreciate all we're asking, if you're getting value, that you give us a five-star review on iTunes, that you tell someone else, hey, you should check out the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. It's good. I'm getting value. I'm learning something. I'm taking stuff back to my practice. If you're not, don't waste your time. Go find something else that better serves your needs. You won't hurt our feelings. I'd be more hurt if you listened and weren't getting value. So that's it. Until next week, peace. Later. Should we climb in? Tooth and nail till I'm at the top. Jump without a net. Never break a sweat. Cause I live my life like it's all I got.